So today is uh, the first day of uh, unleavened bread, the first day of Passover. And it is interesting, you know, that the traditions go back such a long time. There's a passage in, uh, in the Gospel of Luke at the beginning, in verse t- chapter 22, the beginning of chapter 22. It's, you don't have to turn there, I'm just going to say. Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is called the Passover, was approaching. I always find that interesting. That, that, that's interesting. Because you have that tradition that tells us that 2,000 years ago, uh, unleavened bread was called Passover. That Passover like, lasted for eight days, just like it does today. Uh, and that goes all the way back uh, to uh, this period of time. You know, the Brit Hadashah, the New Covenant, uh, is very helpful for us historically to understand uh, Jewish life in this, the end of the Second Temple period. Uh, and uh, we, uh, we, we need to recognize that, that uh, this whole period of time, the whole New Covenant period, is the late Second Temple period uh, of, uh, of uh, Judaism. And so we really do indeed learn a lot. So that's, that's just always find that, that fascinating. So tonight is the Seder, and uh, it's going to be great. Uh, we're going to sing. We're going to hear uh, all about Passover. It's all interactive, of course. We'll all be participating. We'll be uh, eating and schmoozing and, and uh, having a great time. And the meal is, uh, is outstanding at Berwick. You'll, you'll, really, uh, you'll really enjoy it. All right, so we already said, I said earlier uh, this morning, how today is the 15th day of Nisan, the first day of unleavened bread, therefore the first day of uh, Passover. Uh, And what's interesting is, is that when they did offerings uh, on the first day, on the 15th day of Nisan, uh, they uh, were referred to also as Passover uh, offerings, uh, because Passover was called unleavened bread. Uh, and that unlocks, I think, a little mystery for us when we wonder about, uh, in the Gospel of John, how, were they, how did they have to get back to offer uh, uh, Passovers if it was the night before and, and all that? You just have to understand the times. And so there's a great book, by the way. There's a great book. Uh, it's an old, 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 old book. Uh, uh, it's called The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah. Anybody ever hear that book? The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah. That is a great book, okay? It was written by a, uh, a Messianic Jew uh, uh, over, well over 100 years ago. His name was Alfred Edersheim. Certainly some, some uh, scholarship has surpassed that period of time, but there is so much uh, there. And then uh, there's a, a companion volume that's not as long, uh, and that is called uh, the temple, the temple, and they've both been like rewritten, like updated in the language, so they're much easier to read. Alfred Edersheim, great books. I learned a lot from uh, reading, um, reading uh, those books, and I know that you would as well. You learn a lot. Okay, so one thing that's uh, kind of interesting uh, about uh, this. Uh, holiday is the importance of the matzah, the importance of matzah, the importance of unleavened bread, the feast of unleavened bread. We eat matzah. When I say Passover, I mean, you know, if you're thinking about eating food, right? If I say Passover, you say matzah, right? That's just how it is, right? We eat matzah, lots of it, 
at the beginning, you're excited about eating matzah, right? Because you haven't done it for a while. And then there's, you know, you can get the egg matzah, which is like a little softer, right? You know what I mean? And then you get a, like a little salted matzah. That's really, uh, you know, very good. And you're excited to eat it with butter, or you're excited to eat it uh, with uh, all kinds of other, you know, things on it. And then maybe by day five uh, or six, uh, it, it really does become the bread of affliction, right? <laughs> You know what I mean? Uh, you're ready to move on, you know? Uh, and, uh, and so it's interesting that matzah is the main uh, food. Why, doesn't, why isn't it called the Feast of the Lamb? And why aren't we commanded to eat lamb every day? I mean, doesn't that just sound uh, appropriate, you know, that um, it's all about the lamb, the lamb of God, the lamb died? Uh, but it's interesting that you have in Exodus chapter 12, uh, you know, eat unleavened bread because you're leaving in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. Uh, and the main thing is the matzah, the unleavened uh, bread. So that's, you know, I was thinking about that and I've never read an ant. Like, I, I didn't read that somewhere. I was just in my twisted mind just thinking that. Uh, and maybe someday uh, I'll read some, uh, someone will do a dissertation. Uh, on uh, the uh, why uh, why it's called un unleavened bread, but it is uh, uh, rather uh, interesting. Perhaps uh, unleavened bread is accentuated to remember the fact that our ancestors had to leave Egypt in a hurry. The text tells us that, right? That eat unleavened bread, uh, uh, you know, because they, they ate unleavened bread because they didn't have top, not top time for the dough to rise, so they took unleavened cakes uh, uh, with them. So it reminds us of uh, the, uh, the leaving of Egypt. It's also called the, the, uh, uh, the bread of affliction, right? The matzah is actually uh, called the uh, bread of affliction. Uh, and, uh, and so the, the matzah reminds us of having to leave Egypt in a hurry, of uh, having to, uh, 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 of, the, of the separation, we could say. Of, uh, of leaving Egypt, uh, and, uh, uh, and the fact that it reminds us of the affliction. So in, in Deuteronomy, for example, in the 16th chapter, it says, You shall not eat leavened bread. Uh, seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, the bread of affliction. Uh, there it is. For you came out of Egypt in haste. It's the bread of affliction, for you came out of Egypt in haste in order that you may remember all the days of your life, the day when you came out of the land of Egypt. So uh, the matzah uh, is a reminder to us of the separation from the slavery. It's a reminder also of the affliction uh, that uh, our ancestors experienced and of the redemption. And it's interesting that uh, you read in Leviticus uh, in the second chapter, that when uh, Israel was to bring a, uh, we'll just call it a grain offering or a bread offering to God, it also had to be unleavened, except on Shavuot, okay? But uh, all other times, it had to be unleavened, uh, unleavened bread. Perhaps also, uh, as a reminder, 
of the redemption of God and you know, of the uh, uh, bread of affliction. Now, again, we still might wonder, though, why, uh, why the matzah? Okay, so we have the remembrance of the redemption, the remembrance of the separation, the remembrance of the affliction. But there's a, I, perhaps also out of that is birthed a very practical, uh, a very practical reason of faith. Uh, and that is, is that out of affliction, uh, out of affliction comes hope. I, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I read a, um, a little essay uh, by Jonathan Sachs. Uh, it had to do with Passover. It was in a, a book that I have. And he talks about the difference between optimism and hope. The difference between optimism and hope. He said optimism is linear. Optimism is birthed out of what has taken place. In other words, we're optimistic because we see what's taken place. Things are going well, and so we're optimistic, one thing after the other. It's linear. So he says hope, though, uh, is not linear. It's hope uh, is being focused on something in the future uh, that we do not have, uh, but what we trust, right? Uh, and so you talk about, like, uh, you know, he's talking in this essay about the history of the Jewish people. The history of the Jewish people does not make us optimistic, okay? Uh, there is very little optimism when it comes to uh, looking at Jewish history and then thinking about what is to come, okay? But on the other hand, uh, certainly uh, there is hope uh, because our hope is in God, our hope is in the promises of God, and that's why we keep our eyes fixed on Him. Uh, you know, hope does not disappoint, uh, as Paul tells us in, uh, in, in Romans, the hope of God uh, does not uh, disappoint. And so the matzah, the unleavened bread, the separation, uh, uh, the bread of affliction, reminds us uh, really not so much of optimism, um, but, rather of, uh, but rather of hope. It reminds us of our need for God, right? Uh, he goes on to say, that he uses the word, uh, rather than uh, linear, he says it's covenantal. Don't you wish you could write like that? <laughs> it's not linear. Hope uh, is covenantal. Optimism, linear, hope, covenantal, right? Uh, and so the, uh, the matzah uh, kind of reminds us of our covenant relationship with God. It reminds us of the separation out of Egypt. It reminds us of the grace of God. And it also reminds us, being called the bread of affliction, that it's out of affliction that we have hope. That really hope is often even born out of affliction. Again, that is the history of, of uh, Israel uh, from the beginning to this uh, day. And that is a reason why we eat, for example, at the Seder tonight, right? We uh, take the matzah and we put some uh, horseradish on it. And then we dip it into the charosis, right? Uh, that, it's, uh, that we have the sweetness of redemption that comes out of the bitterness of, of slavery. And we'll talk more about that, uh, about that tonight. So the, uh, the unleavened bread uh, plays a really big role, therefore, uh, as, as we can see. It reminds us that we belong to God, that we've left Egypt. It reminds us of affliction. It reminds us also that we haven't quite reached the promised land yet, that uh, uh, we haven't quite gotten to uh, the, the end game, one might say. Okay? 
Uh, and hint, hint, that may have something to do with why we eat leavened bread on Shavuot. But we'll talk about that 50 days uh, from, from now. Uh, okay? Uh, but anyway, so uh, the, the, the matzah, very, very important role. Now, in the uh, New Covenant, uh, leaven and unleaven is not only used to talk about bread, but it's also used as a metaphor that relates to Passover. Certainly, whenever you read, I don't know about you, but whenever I read leaven and unleaven, I'm thinking matzah, you know? I, I, and, uh, uh, and it's interesting that Yeshua, mostly Yeshua, but Paul does it a couple of times, uh, talks about leaven uh, in a variety of ways, right? Uh, it's interesting. We could say that technically, if you add it all up, when Yeshua speaks about leaven, he's talking about something that spreads, something that spreads. Because the first place he does it, now we might think, oh wait, no, no, it means sin. Leaven is a reminder of sin, but not every single time, right? So in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 33, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. That's not sin. And he's talking about spreading, about how, uh, how it may be small, you know, but it, but it will spread. It will spread, okay? But now I will say all the other places, <laughs> all the other places speak uh, about uh, sinfulness, in Matthew chapter 16, in verses 6 and 11 and 12, we read about the leaven of the, of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. In Mark 8.15, we read about the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Uh, in Luke chapter 12 and verse 1, Yeshua defines the, uh, the leaven of the Pharisees. He calls it hypocrisy. Uh, and then uh, we read uh, in uh, Galatians chapter 5, actually, let's turn to that one for just a second, in the uh, New Covenant, in the book of Galatians, in chapter 5, in verses 7 and 9, he says, you were running well, who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. The little leaven is persuasive teaching that is wrong. It spreads. And so here, uh, hypocrisy spreads, sinfulness spreads, Bad teaching spreads, you know, and so it's called, uh, it's called leaven. Uh, and then, of course, a passage that we want to actually focus on is in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, a passage that you are familiar with. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul talks about Passover. He talks about Passover. And uh, we might wonder, why does he talk about Passover in Corinth? And, uh, you know, it's interesting when you read 1 Corinthians, we talk about Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits. It's, kind of, it's a, a kind of an interesting observation. And I would suggest the reason for that is that if you go back to the 16th, I think it's the 16th chapter of the book of Acts, you see the beginning of the congregation at Corinth. And that's where they were meeting in the synagogue, and then they got kicked out and they went next door, Right? And, and they formed this congregation. It was composed of uh, Gentile proselytes, one of the leaders of the synagogue, and other Jewish people in the Jewish quarter of Corinth, right? And, uh, and so that kind of makes sense. Then when you read in 1 Corinthians about these uh, Jewish uh, holy days, uh, they must have, they certainly had, uh, had knowledge uh, of this. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, you have quite a situation here. 
Uh, okay, so I'm just going to read from the beginning. It says, It is actually reported that there is immorality among you, an immorality of such a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles, even among the pagans, that, that someone has his father's wife. Uh, and you have become arrogant and have not mourned instead in order that the one who has done this deed might be removed from your midst. For I, on my part, though absent in body but present in spirit, have already judged him who has so committed this as though I were present. In the name of our Lord uh, Yeshua, when you are assembled, and I with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Yeshua, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Messiah. Okay, so here Paul basically says, okay, there's a terrible thing going on in the congregation, okay? There's a really bad sin, and you have not mourned over it. You have not mourned over it. Uh, you have uh, not wept uh, over it. In fact, you're arrogant. And when you read uh, the first four, the chapters before this, he talks about their boasting and that they're arrogant and they think that they're wise and uh, they think they're really something uh, there, there in Corinth, Okay. Now, the rest of the chapter now is not going to be about that person. The rest of the chapter now is about the congregation. Paul says, I'm dealing with that individual, okay? But now I need to talk to you about your community, okay? So he says in verse 6, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough, just like what Yeshua said, Right? Uh, and, uh, uh, and even uh, uh, Paul likes this phrase because he uses it there in Galatians. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. So he says here, your boasting is not, is not good because you may think that uh, this person's sin is some kind of isolated thing that doesn't affect anybody else. And so therefore, as, you know, as long as it's you know, kind of isolated, it's a bad thing, or, you know, whatever it may be, but it, but it doesn't affect anything else. And what he's saying is it affects the whole community, right? A little leaven spreads. A little leaven leavens uh, the whole lump of dough. They had become lackadaisical in their communal uh, purity, right? Uh, and so now this was uh, an extreme situation, but it makes the point, right? Uh, it was an extreme situation, uh, uh, but, but he makes the point. He calls them out uh, on it. It reminds me a little bit of Heschel's great statement, right? Few are guilty, but all are responsible, right? I know he wasn't talking about this kind of situation exactly, but one's related to it, you might say socially, that uh, few may be guilty, but we all have a responsibility as a community to be a demonstration, you know, of the life of Messiah. So he's saying here that unchecked sinfulness spreads, right? Like a disease, right? You know, in another place, in uh, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, Paul uh, says this in another way. He says the very same thing using, using a great illustration. Uh, in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, okay, in verse 16. It says, but avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are these two guys, Hymenaeus and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth, 
saying that the resurrection has already taken place. And thus they upset the faith of some. And so bad teaching, here is an example, spreads like gangrene. It's like leaven. A little leaven leavens the whole whole, uh, uh, lump. Uh, It spreads. Okay. Now, it's interesting why, uh, why we might call it leaven, why, why leaven is used. So here is, uh, I heard someone speaking on this once. It was kind of interesting. So if you take a loaf of bread and you take a piece of matzah and you uh, put them in a room for six weeks, okay? And then you come back and you look at them at the end of six weeks. You see that the loaf of bread is unedible. It's unedible. But matzah you can eat for years. Right? Matzai was born stale. You know what I'm saying? Okay? Uh, actually, uh, if, you are, if you've eaten matzah for many years, you actually can tell. But uh, you can still eat it. See? But, but leaven turns moldy. And so sin spreads. The, uh, the, leaven, the leavening of sinfulness spreads and, and we become moldy and unedible and, uh, and all those bad things. Uh, spores everywhere, right? And so uh, here in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, clean out, in verse 7, clean out the old leaven. Perhaps thinking of the tradition at Passover, right? Cleaning out the leaven, Right? Clean out the old leaven. Old, he's old leaven. Clean out the, that, what is unedible in your congregation. And he's not talking about the refrigerator, right? Clean out. He's talking to them as a community. But of course, it begins with each of us as individuals. But clean out the old leaven. And just as, may I suggest for us, just as we are careful in uh, uh, in preparing for Passover, you know, this week we, we did the deep clean, you know, uh, the, the carpeting, all the carpeting, they came in and, you know, clean the carpet, you know, and uh, I just stayed away, uh, you know, uh, but took everything off the floor. That was quite a feat, you know, uh, but, it, and, and then uh, the wonderful person who comes and cleans was here for hours this week, cleaning everything. You know, every, you know, even we cleaned the, the, uh, the blinds, the, you know, above. You could do the white glove test, you know. We have got it clean. But you see here what he's saying is do that as a community. Clean out the sinfulness. Clean out sinful behavior, thoughts, I, what, what's in your heart, all of this. Because it affects everybody. It affects the entire community. And I thought to myself this, uh, this week, you know, I would really rather not teach on this today. I'd really rather teach on, like the passage in Revelation chapter 5 or something. It, you, know, you know what I mean? But I believe that right now, this is the work that God wants to do in us. Now, we don't have such a blatant, thank the Lord, we don't have this blatant sin that he's talking about. But, you know, it's like uh, sometimes we get an inoculation, an inoculation where we're, uh, we become somewhat mediocre in, our, in everything because, because we're not cleaning it out. It's not as horrible as it could possibly be, but we're not cleaning it out and it festers. And, 
Uh, and, and, and it's not good for us, and it, and it hinders our walk with God communally and what God wants to do, and that's what he's saying uh, 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 to them. You know, go through the cabinets, metaphorically speaking, right? Uh, and clean it all out that you may be a new lump, a fresh, a fresh lump. Be lumpy as we should be, right? And then he says, just as you are unleavened. Just as you are unleavened. See, this is very important. He's saying, be who you really are. As a community of Messiah followers, you're not ill. You don't have mold. As a community of Messiah followers, you're sanctified. You're, you, you are cleansed people. So be who you really are. You're not really living as you are. See, this is very encouraging. He's not saying it the other way around. He's not saying you're pretending to be uh, uh, godly, but you're really not. He's saying you really are, but you're not living that way. See? Uh, and how important this is for us at this uh, time of year. Not to be discouraged, but encouraged. That's why he doesn't say it's a lost cause. Clean out the old leaven. Let there be uh, no sinfulness. Uh, as, as, you know, we all sin, but when we confess our sins, we're forgiven and cleansed. Right? Live that way. That's what he's saying. Uh, uh, he's saying uh, uh, to us here that uh, be unleavened. Unleavened bread is the bread of separation. Unleavened bread is the bread that reminds us of leaving Egypt. Unleavened bread reminds us of the, of the bread in the sanctuary. Unleavened bread reminds us of holiness, of belonging to God. It also is the bread of affliction. And so we know that we have not yet arrived, and, and we are, in a way, uh, you know, that's why we eat the bitter and the sweet together, right? The bread of affliction, the bread of life, the bread of separation. But one thing we are not is the bread of sin. And that's what the leaven reminds us of the spread of a sinful, okay? So it is important, I think, to remember that it's not just sin, but the spread of sinfulness. And he says, you're unleavened because Messiah, our Passover, also has been sacrificed. You're unleavened because you have partaken of the Lamb. You are unleavened because you have partaken of the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. You are unleavened because Messiah is the Lamb whose blood was shed that not only takes away our sin, but takes away the wrath of God uh, that gives us freedom, that takes us out of bondage. Messiah, our Passover, has been sacrificed. Okay? So when Paul looks at the Passover, he understands, as he says, actually in a couple of chapters away from this, he makes uh, this statement. He says, in, in regard to the wilderness wanderings, he says, Now these things happened to them as an example that they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So Paul understands that, the, the, that his generation of Messiah followers, and that is all of the Messiah followers now, uh, we are the recipients of the goal upon whom the ends of the ages have come. And so... The, uh, the, looking, the looking backward uh, at the Passover and remembering our ancestors coming out of Egypt, 
points to us to Messiah Yeshua. And, uh, and more about that tonight. We'll talk about that, how uh, even in the Jewish world, the redemption out of Egypt is pointing to the coming of the Messiah, uh, very much so. Uh, and so we understand Yeshua is the Messiah, and so he is indeed the Passover lamb. And that is why in the book of Revelation, we read so much about the lamb of God. But anyway, then he, then he gives the admonition. Okay, that's who you really are. Don't forget the Passover. Don't forget what Messiah did. Don't forget, therefore, that now you are separated. Now you went from being leavened to unleavened. You have left Egypt. You are unleavened. Live that way. So he says, let us therefore celebrate the feast, not with the old leaven, right? Not with what we're getting, not with the moldy bread, right? Not with old leaven, not with that which spreads and debilitates and is poisonous, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness. It's not something else. He's making the point. Not with wickedness, not with sinfulness, not with debauchery, not with bad talk, not with bad actions, not with bad intent, malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Sincerity and truth. And so he says, uh, let us celebrate the feast with sincerity and truth. And here is something to pursue a character trait to pursue that demonstrates godliness and righteousness. Sincerity and truth are almost synonyms here when you look it all up, okay? I, I, we read a lot about sincerity in the Brit Chadashah in uh, Philippians. Book of Philippians in the uh, first chapter. We read here, um, beginning in verse 9, and this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent, in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Messiah. I, we, read it in, uh, we read it in a number of passages. I'm, I'm not, in 1 Timothy 1.5, in 2 Timothy we read, uh, we read uh, about it in the book of Hebrews, in 1 Peter, in 2 Peter. We read a number of passages about sincerity. What does it mean? No pretense, no hidden motives. Be true to who you really are. That's what it means. I, in other words, that there's a relationship between the words in our mouth, the deeds that we do, and our heart that conceives it. That, uh, that there's a relationship uh, there. Uh, that's what it means to be sincere. Sometimes uh, it's translated pure. Sometimes... Even in the book of Hebrews in 10.22, where it says sincere, it's actually the, the, the word for truth uh, that's there in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, when it says sincerity and truth. So you have at least one passage in the New Covenant where the word for truth is translated uh, for us to be sincere. So they're very, very similar. To be real, to be who we really say we are. And so to cultivate that kind of, and there's another big word that we could use, integrity, integrity. Now that word is used in a number of places in the Tanakh. And that is also, you know, part of the, the whole uh, semantic range, the range of, of meaning here 
that if you, if you were to make a circle and put all the different words that kind of mean the same thing, in Hebrew, tamim means whole, to be complete. I, in other words, I, I, to be, that's probably, I didn't look it up, but maybe where the word wholesome uh, might even, uh, you know, uh, come from and mean that, that, uh, that we have uh, integrity. When, you, when we say a person has integrity, we mean they're real, they're transparent, they are who they really say they are. Uh, and that's the kind of people that we want to be. And that is a trait that can indeed uh, be cultivated. You know something that's really fascinating? I don't have time to tell you the verses, but in the Jewish publication society, Tanakh, it translates in about four or five places the word tamim. Usually it's the word for blameless, the word blameless, but it doesn't mean perfect. In, uh, in uh, describing uh, Job, in describing Noah, and in a command in Deuteronomy and a couple of other places, and in, and in, and in uh, Genesis 17 and verse 1, where we read about Abraham being blameless, and we read a couple of commands to be blameless, the JPS uses the word wholehearted, wholehearted. And you know, that is the theme of our 50-day devotional, biblical wholeheartedness, biblical wholeheartedness. Being whole, being, being real, being sincere, that is the unleavened bread of what we should celebrate. And it's interesting that Paul uses the metaphor of the celebration. And it kind of like, when we live that way, we could say it makes life a celebration, a celebration of wholeheartedness a celebration of being uh, who, indeed, we say uh, that we are. Now, what's important for us here, in just a couple of minutes here, is that it's not just about us personally. Yes, it's about us personally. It has to be. But it's not just about us personally. It's about us as a community. And this, I believe, is what God wants us to pursue. We need to engage in what's called in Hebrew, cheshbon hanefesh, cheshbon hanefesh, uh, which means uh, the accountability of the soul, the accountability of, of the soul, right? It means to be accountable. That's a, it's sort of like a really great, uh, colorful, creative way to say we all need to be accountable. We're accountable one to the other. And uh, you can look that up. There are plenty of verses in the scriptures that tell us to be accountable one to another. We are not lone rangers. We are not isolated. Even if we are loners before God, we're not. Maybe in our own selves we are, but before God, we are not. As a community, we are accountable to God. And we need to think deeply over this 50 days and say to ourselves, are we wholeheartedly serving God? What are we letting in? What are we entertaining? What are we doing? And really have, take that kind of accountability. And that's why I have asked us, beginning on this Tuesday, and for seven Tuesdays in a row all together, that we take a day, even if we're working, it can still be a separation of time in our, in our minds and in our hearts, uh, of fasting and prayer for Beth Messiah. That includes all of us as individuals, of course. But, but for our leadership, for, our, for me, for the elders, the shamashim, ministry leaders, and, and then take the directory and, and, and every single one of us. And may we be really become cleansed vessels for the Lord. May we really get rid of the old leaven. 
And may we really be this new lump. May we be refreshed, restored, and renewed so that God then is free and clear, so to speak, without our hindering him to do things in Beth Messiah that really make a difference in our Jewish community and and around the world. Perhaps of of people coming to faith. Let's hope more than anything else (laughs) of people coming to faith uh, in, in Yeshua. Uh, hearing the good news, growing in their walk with God. Uh, may it be a day of new things for us uh, as we remember the death and resurrection of Messiah and living that way. And so how do we do that? How do we do that? We have to be careful. Oh, there are so many verses to read about being careful, but I won't read them. Okay. Be careful what we allow in our hearts. So, so the Beth Messiah is a community of individuals, or we're, we're individuals, and we read in, in Ephesians, in the fourth chapter, uh, that we're called to be a community uh, that serves God by the proper working of each individual part. So we all have the responsibility. It's not, well, if they would only walk with God, <laughs> then we'd be okay, right? So we all need to be careful, in our walk with God, what we allow in our heart. Are we listening to the voice of God? Are we living in obedience, faithfulness to him? That's what it means to be true. Emmet. You know, when we read about uh, God being true, it doesn't mean just telling us the truth. It means being like true blue. It means being faithful. God is faithful. Are we true? Are we cultivating the character trait of truth, truthfulness, not just in apologetics, not just in our, uh, you know, uh, teaching, but in our walk with God, in our heart, in our thought, and our deed. Are we careful about what we see? Job talks about making a covenant with his eyes, who we associate with, what we read. We need to work hard at cultivating a heart of discernment so that we can recognize what's bad and what's good. That takes practice. That takes work. We might say, but what if I don't feel this way? Am I being a hypocrite then? You know, if I I do what's right, but I don't feel what's right, then I'm not being true. I say, work hard at it. Just start doing what's right. And you'll see that your heart will, will follow. You will see that over time, by doing what is right and praying, God Help me to feel and be inside what I'm doing outwardly. He will answer that prayer. That is a prayer God will answer. Okay, there's no like maybe he'll answer it, maybe he won't. Because if you have a will to engage in sincerity and truth and live that way and get rid of the old leaven, that is exact, that's like God's bread and butter, right? That's exactly what he wants us to be. And, uh, and we will see change. The end result is a powerful testimony, a cleansed vessel on your way home. Not on your way home, because I don't want you to look at anything while you're driving. Okay, so when you get home or afterwards, read 2 Timothy 2.21. He talks about being a cleansed vessel, being clean, you know, just like, you know, the doctor has to have uh, cleansed utensils in order to work, right? God wants to do a work through us, but we have to be cleansed. We have to be um, sterilized in that way to be able to uh, uh, be all that God would have us to be. So what is the end result for us? The end result is being at peace, discerning, transparent. 
We can quit rationalizing, giving reasons why things are the way they are in my life or our lives or whatever. That takes a lot of energy, you, you know? Uh, and uh, and uh, I think that at, at the end of the day, there is really a supernatural joy, the joy that Peter talks about, that joy unspeakable, that joy indescribable, when I can just be me and who I am is what God would have me to be. But it is cultivated. It doesn't come by simply saying, Lord, I, I lay me down to sleep and make me, uh, uh, you know, make me this kind of person. And I'll wake up in the morning and there you go. That helps. It does. Of course, it does. But we must participate, pursue, go after it, right? Remember that passage? Pursue, run away from the, uh, from the leaven, run away from it, right? I, and you know, at the very end of the passage in First uh, 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 Corinthians, the last verse, it says there, it's an uncomfortable thing, but it says there, um, remove the wicked man from yourselves. See that? It's the, last verse, the very last thing. Remove the wicked man from yourselves. Okay? Okay. So what he's saying here is that it's absolutely imperative to remove wickedness. Now, when people uh, repent, we're removing the wickedness. You know what I mean? Uh, when uh, people come, well, there's always this balance, you know, that we have. When people come and they're investigating the claims of the Messiah, uh, and, and uh, they're still, uh, you know, in that unleavened stage, uh, certainly uh, we don't kick them out, right? But if a person makes a profession of faith in Yeshua and just continues to live a life of sinfulness uh, and does not respond to an admonition or several or before the whole congregation and thinks that it doesn't matter and maybe nobody even knows, right? Maybe it's a secret that we're really working hard to keep, right? Ultimately, that has to be removed. The sinfulness has to be removed. And if a person loves the sin more than the community, more than godliness, whenever we have to remove the sin, you have to remove the person. But, but may God show us great mercy and grace that a person lets go of the ungodliness. And, and the sin is removed. And what's interesting is, is that this, what he says, remove the, wickedness, the wicked uh, man from yourselves, this comes from a verse in Deuteronomy that's quoted five times, that, that's written five times. But what it says exactly in Deuteronomy is, remove the evil from your midst. That's the verse. Remove the evil from your midst. So it's not about just getting rid, it's not about getting rid of people. It's about getting rid of the leaven that spreads. And it's so serious that it goes beyond like relationship, you know? It's whatever it takes because the sinfulness will kill us. Or at least make us sick. And we don't want to be sick. We want to be well and serving God and, and really filling up that cup of blessing and being whom God has called us to be. And so therefore, boy, at Passover, may we appreciate and, and love the Seder and may we be encouraged and rejoice and be happy and thankful and, and all of it. But at the very same time, May we purge the evil from our lives. May we purge the, there, take that personal inventory, that cheshbon hanefesh, the, you know, uh, the uh, accountability of the soul. 
uh, and, and remove it and forsake it and renounce it and pray against it and, and, and all of that. Uh, and we will see tremendous renewal in our midst, you know, as we are that bread of separation, as we are that bread that belongs to God, as we are that bread of affliction. Because that bread of affliction, in one of the great paradoxes of the Bible, which are, there are many, uh, is uh, the bread of affliction is also the bread of life. The bread of affliction is also the bread of life. And so may we not just talk that talk, but may we, as we, everyone says, may we walk that and may uh, the admonition that Paul gives to the Corinthians be true for us. May we really live out what it means when we say Messiah is our Passover sacrificed for us.